Before we get started, I wanted to thank Prevail Infoworks, the sponsor of today's podcast. Prevail Infoworks is the only global, full-service, tech-enabled CRO and e-clinical service provider harnessing historical and publication data alongside ongoing study data in real time. Get the most out of your study data and schedule a demonstration of this service for yourself at www.prevailinfoworks.com. And be sure to meet the Prevail team at the Outsourcing Clinical Trials East Coast Conference in May or at their offices in Philadelphia. Again, take a moment and explore their new look website at www.prevailinfoworks.com. Check them out. This edition of the Bio Report is brought to you by the California Technology Council, providing discounts on products and services essential to every startup. For more information, visit californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Vitesse, a rare disease drug development company, this week announced that it was initiating a late-stage pivotal trial for its lead experimental therapeutic to treat Neiman-Pick type C1 disease. The start of the trial for the nine-month-old company represents a major milestone and suggests its history with the National Institutes of Health and the rare disease drug accelerator Sidan Development may point to new ways of cutting the time and cost of advancing a drug to market. We spoke to Ben McKilsa, CEO of Vitesse, about the rapid pace at which the company has been able to move, the role NIH has played, and whether this points to new ways to accelerate the drug development process. Ben, thanks for joining us. Thank you, uh, Daniel, for inviting me. It's a we, pleasure to be in your we, we spoke shortly after the, the founding of Vitesse about nine months ago on our sister podcast, CareerCast, but I thought it was a good time to connect and share your story with a, a broader audience, given the progress you've made and, and what your experience might say about new models of collaboration and, and how they can accelerate drug development. Per, perhaps we should start with the the headline here, your, your beginning late-stage pivotal trial for an experimental treatment for the ultra-rare disease Neiman Pick type C1, just nine months after the company was founded. How have you gone from founding to pivotal trial in nine months? Put put that in some perspective for us. Um, yeah, no, so we were very fortunate that we actually could strike a deal with NIH and building on their expertise. And then we had the company Sidon, actually, who actually did kind of a... Um, um, an assessment if the if all the information was strong enough to warrant further development, um, and so we could capitalize on that whole system of information. One is there was a preclinical package which was complete for um, as completed by NIH and CATS. There was a phase one study going on, uh, which we had kind of um, 
you know, complete access to. We had access to the natural history study, so we could study actually, you know, the the normal disease progression and compare it to any signals we may pick up in the phase one. And and so that whole platform actually was a very strong foundation. And you know, if you look at this drug, you know, nine months after founding the company. We are about to embark in a phase three trial, which, you know, is founded on uh, very strong preclinical data. We are the only model or we the only drug which shows efficacy in two animal models and, and not only efficacy to treat, you know, the animals from, from birth, but also show an ability to extend life for even animals which are symptomatic. So. You know, in the mice, we see a two-fold li- uh, expansion of life. In cats, we see a, an expansion of life, extension of life over eight-fold. So that's very strong data. And, um, you know, we also, with the phase one data and in combination with the animal studies, we were very, we were quickly able to determine the target dose uh, for this study. So, you know, we were able to accelerate a lot of those things based on uh, you know, all the ins- institutional know-how which was available at NIH, at NCAT, and also developed at Sidon. Uh, and then we found in the phase one study indications of efficacy, as you may have read in the press release. So, you know, that was a very strong package to actually go to the regulators and actually ask for, you know, feedback on our protocol. Part of the strategy for us was to develop a single protocol which could be executed in the U.S. and in Europe and possible, possibly other countries because if you have to make territory-specific adjustments to your protocol, it basically adds to the number of patients you need to actually run the study. So with very strong collaboration from FDA and EMA, we were able to agree on a single protocol which would be used in the U.S. and in Europe, which basically you know makes our life a lot easier and also accelerate our ability to, you know, complete the pivotal trial. So, you know, overall, I think we have a very strong and unique package of information, you know, which cannot be met by any other uh, product in development, and is a very solid foundation to actually start this pivotal trial. Well, I, I think many of our listeners may not be familiar with Neiman Pick Type C. How many people does it affect? How does it manifest itself? And what's the prognosis for someone diagnosed with the disease today? So, um, you know, Neiman Pickett affects about 1 in 120,000 births in, in the world. And so we estimate that there are worldwide approximately 2,000 patients. A lot of those patients are not diagnosed because one of the problems of Neiman Pickett is that the diagnosis is very complex. So the disease is actually caused by accumulation of cholesterol due to a a defect in the MPC1 protein. So Neiman pick type C is actually the MPC1 protein is, you know, basically the Neiman pick protein. And that's defect and it doesn't export cholesterol from the cells and other fatty acids. So the cholesterol builds up in the cells and becomes toxic. So the children are born and they are frequently healthy kids, and then when they start growing up at the age of four, people are complaining that their child is getting clumsy and is falling and tripping, and that's followed by cognitive decline, and frequently those children die at the age of 16 to 20. Uh, so it's a, it, it is a horrible disease where the 
the parents and the children actually, you know, have have a very difficult situation to deal with, to to say the least. And uh, you know, if we can actually stabilize this disease, that would already be very very good. But it's also very important that we diagnose this disease early because the disease is very variable in onset. Sometimes it starts with um, you know clumsiness and tripping and walking difficulties. So other times it starts with cognitive problems. So the disease is very diverse and therefore very difficult to diagnose. And at this but point, I take it there are no therapies. There is a therapy approved in Europe, which is called Savesca, Miklostat. Uh, it's an older therapy. It, it definitely has an effect, but that 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 drug is not approved in the U.S. And uh, it is not a drug which has been studied in a lot of detail like we are currently studying the drugs in this day and age. Uh, your, your candidate here is cyclodextrin, which, as I understand it, is is really known as an inactive ingredient used to stabilize and dissolve drugs in solution, and it's being pursued as a possible therapy here. What's known about cyclodextrin's potential as a treatment for Neiman PIC-C at this point? Yeah, so we have a proprietary formulation of cyclodextrin, so not all cyclodextrins are the same. Uh, they are different in size, they are different mixtures, and they also have different biological activities. So I think you have to be careful by making statements that, you know, cyclodectrins can be used. But we have a proprietary formulation, and what we do know is that, you know, the, the cyclodexin is kind of a circular sugar molecule with a hydrophobic inside where you can bind lipids and hydrophilic outside which you can actually use to dissolve those lipids then in the pocket of sugar into an aqueous solution, for example, plasma. And so the cyclodexins um, we use, they are highly purified. We use them in, in very high concentrations compared to what was used you know, in the past as a kind of excipient. Uh, and, and it's clear that cyclodexins do have a biological activity. As you mentioned, a lot of the work that's been done here has been done by the National Institutes of Health National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences, which is an effort to advance promising early stage research into the clinic. You, you've licensed the program for NIH, but I'm wondering how significant would you say the, the work they've done has been? How important a role have, have they played in terms of, of really enabling this as a, a potential treatment getting to market? I think they have done an, uh, a very important job, and that is actually using their tra translational capabilities of identifying this drug and getting it to a point where it can be evaluated in the clinic. And, uh, you know, with, with their resources, um, you know, they have, they have used those to actually evaluate cyclodexin, learn a lot more about the disease, and also develop um, opportunities for supplemental MPC therapies like, you know, we have a CRADA with NIH where we also start developing Delta to cover all to, um, in jointly with NIH to also see if that can be evaluated. Uh, that's a form of vitamin E? Yeah, that's a form of vitamin E. So, so I think their work is, is really important. I think what, what I think the cool part of this is, is that um, you know, they have actually, with their work, it became important enough that a company like Sidon 
actually thought that it was an important uh, opportunity to evaluate for you know further development and then we came in play starting Vitesse and we could take it with our experience in late stage drug development quickly into the clinic and I think if you think about it normally a process like this takes from phase one to you know completion of a phase three frequently 10 years or longer and we are now in this stage if you consider the start of the phase one trial at NIH I think it was 2013 you know, we're now 2015, and we are we have just have started the phase three trial. So, the gain in time is absolutely astounding, and that could not have been done by all these parties working together and building on the foundational work of NIH and other academic researchers that have been involved. We should not forget those people too. And, and do you think cyclovection would be in a pivotal trial at this point without the work of NIH and? Does it argue for NIH doing more translational research? Um, I think without the work of NIH, we would not be in this stage. Absolutely not. I think they have, they have actually done a tremendous job. So uh, this, in my opinion, is an important step forward in actually thinking about drug development in a different way and, and also approach it more as a public-private partnership. Uh, because, you know, if you only look at it from a from a from a you know, business point of view, you just want to make sure that you see the business opportunity. But you probably would not have found the business opportunity without the foundational work done at NIH. So I think it's a very symbiotic relationship, which, you know, if we can make this work and make this a, you know, kind of a, a proof of concept for this particular way of collaboration, that I think that could be, you know, changing the the field of drug development, especially for rare diseases. So I'd like to talk a little about the origins of the test itself. You've you've mentioned Sidon, but I, I don't think we really explained who they are. The company is the first spinoff of Sidon Development, which is an orphan drug accelerator, which is backed by the same group of investors that that funded the test. Yep. What role has the accelerator played in advancing the project, and, and has it in fact accelerated the development faster than it might otherwise have been? I think they they definitely did. Um, you know, one is, is I think they have a group of people who actually took the time to actually validate uh, the 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 work at NIH and help that information and also. Uh, or use that information to convince the investors that this was an important opportunity. I was part of the signing team at that time, and I think what was the, the, the important thing was is that they actually did their own translation from, let's call it, academic intramural research to a more commercial research. And, and I think they bridged that gap and actually served as a translator between, let's call it, the academic research and the more uh, company-sponsored uh, research. And I think that was very important because, um, you know, you need to think about are all the studies done under GLP? Is is everything traceable? Is everything of the right quality? Does it meet all the regulatory standards? And they helped to provide that answer, and that was an important step. So and actually, yeah. what's the, de the development path forward here? How, how big a trial are you going to have to do to go to the FDA with a, an application for marketing approval? And, and what kind of a timeline are you looking at? So 
Um, so we plan on running this trial in 51 patients. We are going to open up 20 sites over in the Europe and in the U.S. And um, we hope that we can enroll this patient, uh, this population within a year. And the total treatment for each patient is a year. So hopefully two years from now, we are completely done with this trial. Of course, we do everything to beat that, that timeline and, and start preparing our dossier for submission. And then, so I could, I would say that between two and a half and three years from now, we could be in a position to provide a full answer for the NPC community if cyclodexin works or not. And if successful, would you expect to bring the drug to market yourself or would you look for a partner to market it? Uh, I, I think we are open to anything which makes it meaningful. We are drug developers and we are not necessarily uh, a marketing company. On the other hand, if, if that opportunity doesn't develop, you know, with this very small population, uh, you don't need much of a marketing department. So we are not actually thinking that far per se, because the first thing which is absolutely critical is to get an answer if this drug works for the children with MPC. And if it doesn't work, you know, it all stops there. We have a high level of confidence that it will work based on the phase one data. Uh, but, you know, we first need to execute in the first stage of, of the project. Now, how about the pipeline behind this? What, where does that stand? So, yeah, as, as I said, we are working with um, NCATS in a, in a CRADA to develop Delta Tocopherol. Uh, that is uh, still in preclinical stage, so we are evaluating the candidates there. Uh, and are you looking at that for, for Neiman Pick or for other lysosomal storage diseases? Um, for Neiman Pick and other lysosomal storage diseases. Um, so, so hopefully in the next, uh, you know, two to three years, a candidate will come out of that, which, um, you know, we could bring into further development either for as a supplementation to the uh, VTS-270 or as um, an independent therapy to either treat Neiman Pick or um, other uh, lysosomal storage diseases. Ben McKilsa, CEO of Vitesse. Ben, thanks as always. Thank you. It's a pleasure being with you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.